Welcome to the Rising Mind Podcast. As incredibly varied and multifaceted as humanity can be, there are two realms of human variety that are greater still, the human mind and the spirit life. Our minds and spirit can grow and rise forever. In this podcast, I explore all kinds of subjects, ranging from spirituality to philosophy, from intellectual pursuits of mind to practical living guided by wisdom. And importantly, all of this exploration is guided by my experience and perspectives gained from studying the Urantia Book. Don't know what the Urantia Book is? No worries. You don't need to know. You'll still get real value from listening, and I'll explain everything along the way. If you do want to explore further, there are several links in each episode webpage. Now, on with the podcast. Today's episode is entitled, Roe v. Wade Got Turned Into Fiction. Let's Balance the Playing Field. Time to Demolish an Old Truth About Women's Status. In the West, Christianity, through its many factions, has held women's status down for millennia. Their religious claim of women's rights being less than men's finds its roots in one of the first biblical stories, Adam and Eve. That story told in Genesis has a big problem, though. It makes no sense. It might make sense if we knew the actual details of the story it's trying to convey, but we don't. Genesis is so metaphorical, it's not wholly useful. At the surface level, it offers little except as a hint towards something deeper. Taken literally, it's a non-starter. So I'm going to tell you a version of Adam and Eve that does make sense and show you what it means for women. Three quick pieces of backstory. To begin, my source isn't the Bible. It's the Urantia book. You've never heard of it, trust me. It's a long book about religion, science, and philosophy. If you want to find out more about it, I wrote a short intro to it and linked it in the article. Second, God created the cosmos and everything in it. We are not an accident. But he didn't do it the way the Bible describes. Instead, he uses science, evolution, and a big team of angels. Science was used to create the cosmos. Angels planted divinely designed DNA on Earth, along with a spark of life. And evolution more or less handles the rest. Third, from time to time, some angelic team members take a human form and live a human life to help us directly. Adam and Eve undertook such an assignment. So did Melchizedek. So did Jesus. There were others as well, but I'm guessing that three, these three are most familiar to you. Any questions? If so, please see the 2,000-page Urantia book. Clear it all up in a jiffy. Now, on with the story. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve weren't the first people on earth. Shocker. Remember the spark of life and DNA I mentioned earlier? Those were placed on earth millions of years before Adam and Eve. So when they show up, there's already a small but growing population of humans on the planet. Adam and Eve have several goals to achieve on earth, but we'll focus on one just for now. The cultural and biological improvement of the human race. Upon arrival, Adam and Eve were given angelically designed and created physical bodies, not evolutionary ones. After all, the angels designed the Earth's original DNA, so making near-perfect material bodies for Adam and Eve, no problem. 
their bodies and their DNA were vastly superior to the evolutionary human DNA. For example, they were immune to a huge variety of natural diseases. Their children could intermarry and have children without genetic diseases, inherited deformities, or dysfunction. Their natural lifespans were a multiple of native human lifespans, and on and on. The improvement plan involved Adam and Eve and their generations of pure-line children living and having children together until they were numerically equal to the native human population. At that point, they would begin the very long, very slow process of marrying humans, having children with them, and raising blended families. This blending would combine not just DNA, but also combine human culture with a peaceful and very spiritual culture brought by the descendants of Adam and Eve. This merging would dramatically improve the total quality of the human race on many levels. Eventually, every human being on the planet would find a life partner in a descendant from Adam and Eve. And at that point, the plan would be completed. But things didn't go according to plan. Genesis did get some things right. Default from the plan. As you can imagine, creating an entire race from one couple takes a long time, even if each member of the new race can live for hundreds or thousands of years. Patience was very important. But a hundred years into it, there was little progress to show. Both Adam and Eve started to get impatient, but Eve in particular took it to heart. She wanted to speed things up, help the plan along, and make her own unique contribution. Unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. And Lucifer was happy to help. Lucifer? As if things couldn't get bad enough all by themselves, Lucifer enters the scene. As the universe's first atheist, Lucifer launched his rebellion against the idea that God existed. He recruited as many angels as possible to his cause and dedicated everyone to resisting, undoing, or dismantling any plans undertaken in the, quote, fictional name of God. And that included undoing a better humanity. While the great deceiver wasn't personally present on earth, his associates were. At first, they tried communicating directly with Adam and Eve, selling all manner of dubious improvements on the plan, but that was too obvious. Their direct involvement raised so many red flags, it made Adam and Eve immune to all their suggestions. So they tried a flanking maneuver and concentrated just on Eve. They worked through an unsuspecting human chieftain, one from a tribe who was especially friendly and trusted by Adam and Eve. Hey, Mr. Chieftain. Eve's got a good idea to make the great plan go faster. She needs the help of a trusted friend. You want to help her, don't you? Wouldn't you like to make a special contribution and earn a place of honor? Of course you would. It took many years to make progress on this flanking maneuver, but over time, Eve and the chieftain held many private meetings to discuss their little enterprise. Eventually, the true-believing and utterly sincere chieftain convinces Eve that nothing can go wrong with good intentions, especially when they're aiming at the best outcome. Through flattery, persuasion, enthusiasm, the chieftain convinces her. In effect, Mr. Tall, Dark, and Handsome seduces Eve. Before she could entirely realize what precisely is happening, the plan was consummated. 
Eve is pregnant with the first blended DNA baby. Realizing what happened. Almost immediately, the angelic hosts on earth know something is amiss. Adam, with his extra, sp extra spiritual sensitivity, picks up on it. He asks Eve to meet with him to discuss what's going on, and he hears for the first time the private story of the closed-door meetings she had with the chieftain and the secret project they devised to add their individual contribution to the overall plan. Eve had defaulted from the original plan that she and Adam agreed to follow. The first blended child will arrive soon, but there wasn't a blended family in which to raise him. To give kids the best chance, stable, blended parenting relationships were supposed to precede them. Parents from different cultures needed baby-free time to resolve the many problems of cultural differences and agree on a unified approach. But that wasn't going to happen. What would Adam do now? What would all of Adam and Eve's children do now? Should they just go ahead with the plan before they had enough people? Should they wait? And what about the new baby that Eve is carrying, conceived far too soon? The improvement plan was wrecked, even before it began. The counseling angels who helped Adam and Eve formulate the strategy, to whom they swore their allegiance, could no longer help them. Since Adam and Eve had departed from the long and carefully crafted plan, the one to which everyone agreed, they must now carry on with their purely personal plans as best they could, and without any further angelic guidance or help. Well, Eve had to carry on anyway. Adam was free to relinquish his assignment and return to his previous angelic status, since he hadn't done anything wrong. Yet. Adam's choice. Adam faced the gravest decision of his earthly career. On one hand, he hadn't done anything wrong. He could retire from this angelic commission. But the consequences were immense. Earth would no longer receive its full measure of biological and cultural improvement, and this lack would echo down through countless generations. The path towards a better humanity, improved culture, and a more humane world was now much darker and more perilous. Just as he was tempted to withdraw from this mission, so were all of his already-born children tempted as well, and eventually about two-thirds of them would withdraw. Little could be seen down the path of staying loyal to the mission and his mate, except extreme hardship and hope against hope. On the other hand, Eve was the love of his eternal life. They had been together for millennia before arriving on earth, and he cherished her with a supermortal affection. As strong as Adam was in both heart and mind, the thought of separating from his beloved for untold years to come, to live and work in the broader cosmos as a solitary journeyman until she completed her lonely time on earth, was simply more than he could endure. From the Urantia book, Page 843. It was in the despair of the realization of failure that Adam, the day after Eve's misstep, sought out Laata, the woman who is the head of the western schools of the Garden of Eden, and with premeditation he committed the folly of Eve. But do not misunderstand. Adam was not beguiled. He knew exactly what he was about. He deliberately chose to share the fate of Eve.
Eve didn't trick Adam. She isn't the seducer, the leader of men into evil. That entire narrative is false. She did commit an error, and it had terrible fallout for everyone involved. But once she could see clearly, she disclosed everything to her partner and squarely faced the consequences, like the brave woman she was. There was no deceit. Only that most human of all things, mistakes. Adam saw her as his equal in life, in love, and in their work together. And after fully comprehending the situation and all of its ramifications, he joined her of his own free will. He believed she was his equal, not merely because he loved her so, but because it was true. Demolishing the Fiction of Women's Inequality Many tragedies have grown out of fossilized interpretations of the Bible, but the inequality of women is especially heinous. What society would consciously handicap the contribution of fully half of its members? What civilization would knowingly hamper themselves by confining the intuitive, emotionally strong, and strategic thinking members to any position of less than full status? Rhetorical questions, I know. Time for all that to change. There are no historical grounds for the suppression of women's status. There is no spiritual basis for it, no logical support for it, no emotional or intellectual scaffolding that can bear the intolerable weight of that atrocious fiction. There is no cause for it. Period. The Edenic ideal embraced the full participation of men and women in the adventure of living. Adam gave Eve his complete measure of trust before the default, and then again after it happened. Why? Because he knew how valuable she was. Because he knew neither of them could make it alone. Because a true team doesn't hinder, constrain, or thwart its members. If we would live up to that spiritual ideal embodied so long ago, we should strive to do no less. Music